0: Well, as I said, I I really enjoy looking at Acts chapter 2 because it just reminds us of who we want to be as a church. So, verses 42 to 47 in Acts chapter 2. And God's word says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles'. who were being saved, but we ask that we would experience this. We want to be that type of church. God affect us, change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when you look through churches that were built the past thousand or so years, you typically see church bells. A tower with bells. And those church bells for the, pur- the purpose of calling the church together. They didn't have wristwatches and all that stuff 500 years ago. So it was calling the church together to hear preaching and to worship together and to pray together. Now as technology advanced, those bell towers became clock towers. But if you think about it, churches that are, still, that are built today typically still have a tower. Uh, It kind of marks what a church is to have that tower. Now, what the the church tower originally was for is to bring the, to call the assembly together. But what it's also been used for is reference points within cities and locations. It's used as a reference point because you can see it. It's the unique shape and design of it. It's usually high and you can use it as a reference point for where you're going John Bunyan, who was a 17th century pastor in England, before he was saved, he actually had the responsibility of ringing the church bell, and he thought that by ringing the church bell, it would make him closer to God, and people would see that maybe, hopefully, he was being acceptable before God. John Bunyan uh, ended up getting saved and realizing that was way off, uh, was in prison for preaching the gospel, and while he was in prison, prison? You don't know what that was, did you? Me either. Uh, when he was in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, uh, which is still, I think, was uh, I don't know if it still is, but was used for many years uh, to teach Chinese English in China. They would read Pilgrim's Progress. I love how God works. <laughs> God's like, watch this. The gospel's still going to advance. It's still going to go. But when we think of God drawing attention. See, God's always had an intention to draw his church together and to call his church together as a reference point for his kingdom light and his kingdom life. Think about this. God is using our church as a reference point. You know, we typically, when we tell people where our church is, we may use Southern Hotel, right? We're across the street from Southern Hotel, we've got the oxen on the side of the building, there's reference points, but now, thankfully, people know who we are, and we now have become a reference point. That's the purpose of church. It's to provide a, a gathering spot for us, but also a reference point so the people who are lost and dying, facing God's wrath, if they don't repent, and can see kingdom light, and can feel kingdom life. God's intention for His church. Uh, God's people are His church to give understanding to His character for that lost world on a destructive path of pride. We are that reference point. I hope today we are reminded about that reference point. But when you think of the New Testament word uh, for church, it's the, it's the same word we get ecclesiastical from, ecclesia. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the church word. But, but the original language in, for that Greek word is called out, and, and particularly to call to an assembly. But God uses the word church in Scripture. Jesus used it in Matthew 16. He's using, I have called out ones. I have called out ones that I'm I'm bringing to a gathering to reveal myself through. Just as bell towers called church members and were known by the town, God rings the salvation bell in saving us through faith in Christ and gathers us together for the world to see. We see that reminder in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what's cool about this word or this concept, it's not, it's not just a New Testament concept. It's in the Old Testament as well. In the 3rd century B.C., uh, the common thing now is BCE, if you've ever seen that, trying to eliminate before Christ. And BCE means now uh, before the common era. So that's why they've added the E. Uh, but we'll use BC. Third century BC, 72 scholars got together and said, you know what, let's take the Hebrew Old Testament that we have and let's translate that into Greek, a common language that we're all speaking. So they had these 72 scholars got together and translated the Hebrew into the Greek, so you, and it's, it's called the Septuagint, uh, Septuagint coming from the word 70, and the, the Roman numerals uh, LXX kind of signify the Septuagint. Here's what they did. These scholars, whenever they saw the word kahal or, or assembly, they translated it with ecclesia, or the word for synagogue. So they said whenever God's people were gathered as an assembly before him in the Old Testament, it was church. God called his people to church. He called them out, gathered them together. We see that several times in Deuteronomy. But look at this, Deuteronomy, and the Lord, Moses uh, speaking to the people before they're entering the promised land. The Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, on the day of the assembly, the day of the church. They used ecclesia right there. Same New Testament word for church they used for any time God's people were gathered before him to hear the word, to worship, and to pray. God gathers his people together. It's what he's been doing for thousands of years. He summons, he calls out. Now, we've looked at he calls us to salvation. We hear his salvific call. It captures our attention, and he gives us faith to respond to him. And when we respond to him, he says, now I'm calling you still to be together with the other people that have called for salvation. He calls, he summons his church, to speaks to his church sing over his church Mark brought that out last week to strengthen his church and to send his church and during this season of our lives it is crucial is my pastoral heart and concern it's crucial that we don't let difficulties and more so comfort isolate us from what God has called us to be together we can, often, we can often wait for situations to be perfect for us to commit to them. But God summons us to engage with Him. And He summons us to engage with Him with those that He's also called to engage with Him. And we must not neglect it. Now, it can be easy for us in our, our uh comfort ease thinking it can just we can slip into these mindsets that uh, we've been getting along just fine with how we've been attending church and doing church so we'll just continue it we'll just continue with what we've got but what we have to and and we will try to reason ourselves out of well i'm not really neglecting church i'm not anti-church i'm just not fitting it in right now because i've got other things that are happening you know, I think the Spirit would tell us, if that's our mindset, we are neglecting, church. And we can't give in to, uh, can't give in to our, our, our weird ras- rationalizations. Because, you know, when we isolate ourselves, we make too much sense to ourselves. And we always have to be suspect of when we make too much sense to ourselves. You know, when you're talking to yourself, you're like, That's right. That's right. That's right we're probably not telling what's going on in our head to other people, that they can say, uh, hold on a second. Let's look at God's word. Let's think about that for a second. Who's that about? Is that about God or about you? Now we have, please hear this. You, I, need the church. Also, the church needs you. The church needs you. The church just doesn't need me. Now, when we were uh, before, we were able to to gather back in here. I'm talking to a camera every single week, and I'm usually by myself because the worship team has left. I'm by myself in here preaching, and it was a lonely experience. And that first day back, I was not I was not anticipating the joy. I didn't know what I was going to feel, but the joy in my heart to see the faces of the people that I love so dearly. It's like, wow, I need the church. I need you right here so we can just make sense. So the preaching of the word builds faith in us. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it's worth hearing this warning from the writer of Hebrews, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we see, I saw this meme, uh, I think this week where it's a a black and white picture of this. It looks like it's from a horror movie or something. This lady opens the door, and she's got these wide eyes and this fear on her face, and the caption said, just looking today to see what chapter of Revelation we're in. (laughs) Like, that's pretty good. But, you know, we can feel, and there's the stirrings, and we're supposed to be looking, and when we see uh, the calamity that's going on, and it doesn't quite make sense, we're right to be able to say, Jesus, are you coming back? Is this, is this the time? We're supposed to be looking. Jesus wants us to look. But, but there's a responsibility that we have to make sure that what we're doing with that is two things. We're telling the church, hey, our hope is not in what we see. It's in what we trust. Or our trust is not in what we see. It's in Jesus. We have to see him by faith. But it's also, we still want to tell the world about him. We still want to tell the people that we're in, fellow, or in relationship with uh, in, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families. We want to let them know, hey, it's time to pay attention to Jesus, and, and don't set your hope in what you can see. Don't set your hope in the science. We still don't know what that is, but everybody wants to quote the science because every time I see the science, I don't. It doesn't seem to. It doesn't seem to blend together very well. Just like statistics. And always find the st- statistic that we want. But we are to encourage one another. That means seeing each other. That means, oh, I, I, I love this. Mark led us this morning in applying what, what the Lord brought to us last week in the voices that we need. Our instrument is our voice. So when we sing a cappella, everybody's afraid to hear their own voice, right? It's like, I go silent then. Uh, all I need is you. Singing solo, solo, so nobody can hear me? That was a funny joke. (laughs) But look, oh, my heart soared when we sang just our voices this morning. Now, I don't. Not looking to do away with instruments. Instruments are very helpful and we want it loud so we don't hear ourselves most of the time. So we can just belt things out and it can be off key and it can be whatever. And we can be weeping, however it is. But those moments where we bring our voices to the Lord and we recognize and, and realize and hear, hopefully, the Lord singing over us in response. Zephaniah 3:17, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. All right, God's desire is evident to grow his church into maturity. Ephesians 4.13 says that mature manhood, but that happens together. And this morning, I I just trust the Lord would remind us of his desire to gather his church and to encourage our devotion to his desire. And this is for us here as well as those that are looking uh, online with us This is is serving the purpose of God for us to keep us connected, but we have to do really hard work to show up to church these days, and we want to do that. Now, in our weird phase three, we're actually allowed to have 130 people in here now, but we can't fit 130 in here and still have the social distancing uh, parameters in place. So we're in conversation as an advisory team, just like what... How do we do this? We don't feel led just yet to go back to two services because we enjoy everybody seeing one another and doing what we're doing, but we're just asking the Lord for clarity. How do we how do we connect the church together? How do we do this? That's why our emphasis right now in this season is going to be on community groups to make sure that we're doing the work of meeting with one another and getting together with one another so we can we can be the church. So I, we just want we want to be reminded, want to be stirred be devoted, to God's desire for us as his church. You know, the original word for devoted, you see that in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. It just meant persist and persevere and continue in. So may, may our minds this morning be willing to have our bell rung, so to speak, so the fire of God's will is stoked in our hearts. That's what we want. In verse 42, I think we see the elements of devotion. What are they devoting themselves to? Uh, The apostles' teaching. It's It's a community that's gathered to learn. The early disciples were devoted. They were persistent and continued in the apostles' teaching. They recognized the difference in seeking God's acceptance through their performance and seeking their acceptance based on justification in Christ. That was the big battleground then. It still is today. How does God accept us? Because we are, we're basically good people and we've done more good than bad? Or because we've got nothing good in us, Jesus took our death for us, our penalty for us, in order to deliver us, and we're delivered by repenting of our sins and trusting Christ for salvation. That was the big battleground then. It's the big battleground today. And it's where false doctrines come in. So the early church recognized, we also recognize that there is a need to persevere in doctrine to to ward off attack and to recognize attack. Now here's what happens with false doctrines. False doctrines usually sound really, really good. But the focus of that doctrine is typically on self and how God exists to make my life better. Rather than or to give me the comfort that I'm accepted by him. Or that he accepts me. Rather than denying self. Taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. Do they have a common denominator that God ultimately will exist to make our lives what we want. Rather than encourage our submission to his perfect will. Which is what he wants. False doctrine centers on man, not God. Now here's an example of this. Paul, same apostle Paul the apostles' teaching that they were devoting themselves to. Galatians chapter 5, he says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other of you, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, circumcision why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Harsh words. For what? Because there are some teachers that came in to the church of the Galatians, and they they were saying, hey, uh, this Jesus thing is really cool, but to to really know and have the assurance that God accepts you, you still need to be circumcised. So they were coming in saying, yeah, you can have faith in Jesus, but really you need to also have faith in circumcision. The mark of God's covenant over you is really what's going to save you. And then, not just circumcision, but really following all the Old Testament laws like we have been trying to do, all 613, that nobody can follow. So, Paul is hot. Who, you were running well, you were believing well, you were trusting well. Who came in? It's not, it's not according to the one who calls you. Who came in and did this? I wish he would emasculate himself. He wants, if he's so concerned about circumcision, prove it, in essence, he's saying. But now, look at what he tells the Philippians. Some indeed, in chapter 1 of Philippians, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my punishment, in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Sounds very different why was there a difference in how Paul approached uh, the guys, the false doctrine that was unsettling the Galatians? And now to the Philippians, he's like, you know what? As long as Jesus is proclaimed, I'm good. They can attack me all they want. Because he recognizes what the root issue is. The root issue is what you're going to trust. You've got some people out there, to the Philippians, there's, these guys are like, hey, I'm going to preach Jesus because I want to have more people that are saved and baptized than Paul. Paul says, go ahead. I'm not in a competition to see who saves, who, who, uh, who the Lord brings to faith through, fine. If the Lord brings a thousand through you and a hundred through me, great, they're saved. But what he's focusing on is make sure the message is the same. Make sure they're trusting in Christ completely. For salvation. See, he wants the truth. But he says. If you want to pro- proclaim the truth. Out of selfish ambition. To be better than me. Go right ahead. But if you're going to proclaim. A false truth. That you can try in some way. Serve Jesus. But you still need to be circumcised. And follow all the law. That's not the gospel. And Christ's death is unnecessary then. See the difference. That's what following. Teaching. Is important to do. And, and it's very important that we are discerning with the availability that we have with all sorts of preachers and teachers in the kingdom of God, we've got to be very careful. And God, God gives us the scriptures so, and to where we are looking at doctrine to say, what does this say about God? How does this describe how I need to submit and surrender and live for him? Deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. If the preachers that we're listening to Don't tell us to deny ourselves, but reward ourselves? That's a false doctrine. We've got to be aware, because God calls us to surrender and submit and lay down our lives. The church gathers to hear the preached word. Uh, In Nehemiah chapter uh, 8, in in verse 2 of chapter 8, it's the word assembly church, ecclesia, it's called, they called together an assembly, and they read the word of the law. Uh, and at that, at that time, everybody actually stood up, and Ezra read. And for however much he was reading of the scriptures, they were standing, and then when they, when they finished reading the scriptures, they all sat down, and here's what happened. Nehemiah 8, verse 8 says, and they gave the sense of the word to the congregation. That's what preaching is. Preaching gives the sense. How, how is God's word, the authority over my life, how does it translate into me seeing Jesus better but also living for him in a way that people see? How is my, my gaze toward the things around me supposed to change? Preachers are to give the sense of the word so the church understands her Savior and lives lives of faith in him rather than and being tripped up by what we see going on around us. In Romans 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and what? Hearing by the word of Christ. Preaching is to center on Christ, so He gives the sense. The Spirit helps us see the sense and make, understand, make illumination for us and give us understanding. We should leave the gathering, so whether it's this gathering or Uh, A community group, or a prayer gathering, or a a men's group, or an accountability meeting—whether it's whatever the size, big to small—we should leave every one of those gatherings with greater faith in God, looking to Jesus' finished work to apply to our hearts. We're to look to be faith, and so, if we have that understanding missing, actually robs us of the opportunity to have that growth in faith to see him. Because we need to hear Jesus in order to see him and have faith stirred in our hearts. And the church also gathers to spur one another on with truth. We gather in smaller groups to be built in truth, so we serve one another through our spiritual giftings and prayerful encouragement. You know, we, when we believe our unedited thoughts we will we, we have the blessing of bouncing off our ideas to other people. And we should be doing that. And we should be willing to say, All right, I might not see this or be thinking through this clearly. So let me get this out and let's try to talk about that. That is wonderful. But the longer we isolate, the harder it is to bounce those thoughts off because we uh, we will fill in blanks incorrectly. And our imaginations will just zoom into dangerous territory. We've got to be around one another so we know, we know the love that we have with one another. We also gathered, we we're gathered uh, to learn, we are gathered to love. The fellowship, fellowship means sharing. The fellowship we as God's church have is in, we all have a relationship with God and we share that with one another. So we, we enhance our relationship with one another by, by pointing out and sharing our relationship with God. Now, the fellowship also is about, it's a sharing in, but it's a sharing out what we have with God. We then go and serve others to, to the astounding nature of confusing culture, confusing the society about how much we love one another and how much we love them. So we are to serve the unrighteous, while standing for righteousness. We're to give a cup of cold water to our enemies. And also condemn unrighteousness. But here's the thing. All in a holy love. And other than love. To bring understanding to the kingdom, light, and life. Now we are also to gather locally. And I think this is what the, to the breaking of bread and the prayers represents. The church is invisible. The church is also visible. The church is global, and the church is very local. We are called to be a a part of and committed to persist in a local expression of Christ's body for our good and the good of other believers. The early church says, met in homes, breaking bread. They met from house to house, breaking bread, fellowshipping with one another, and they met for the prayers. The, that little uh, article there, means... The prayers, at definite article, was probably at the temple. They still went to the corporate gathering. They didn't have uh, the, the church-like concept that we know wasn't there. So they still went to the prayers. They went maybe to preach, but they went mostly for the prayers there. So they met for smaller groups, and they met for corporate church. And they were devoted to it. They persisted in it. They persevered. They continually showed their commitment and attendance. We need to make sure that we don't treat church as a buffet line, picking and choosing we want so it fits in our our lives. You know, the concept is that we should renovate and change things to show our commitment rather than try to figure out where church is going to fit in. So if I have a busy weekend, is church going to fit in that busy weekend? The concept should be opposite. We have a busy weekend, let's make sure we go to church. You know, Martin Luther uh, in describing his prayer, his day, and his prayer times, he said, "I have so much to do today that I need to spend the first three hours in prayer. We have so much going on; we need to make sure we get to church and fellowship with the people of God. We can also uh, we can also take on the the mentality that we're on a cruise ship and that God's just our cruise director." giving us the next thing to do, rather than recognize we're on a battleship as the church. This is, this is warfare that's happening. And our love toward one another is fighting battles in the heavenlies and in the unseen realms for God's kingdom. Now we see in verses 43 to 46... The experience of devotion. There should be, uh, this should be our desire when we gather to experience these things when we gather. Look, awe. I want to experience that in an ongoing way. Just to look the jaw-dropping realization of God's glory and grace. As we look at Jesus. Left to wonder. At the amazement of His love, and the vastness of His love, and the the the, the fact that He came after us to love us—that's awe-inspiring. There should be signs and wonders among us. Thankful at the last uh, prayer night that we had, we prayed over the sick. Several reports came back. Just a test, then uh, going in for a test, please pray. We pray that it would be nothing, and we got a couple reports back that it was nothing. That's God showing up. But you know what also is a miracle? When God changes our minds. There are physical miracles that we pray for, but we also need mental miracles. When God rescues our train of thought from faulty thinking or self-centered thinking, he rescues us. Church, it's a miracle when he changes our minds because left up to ourselves, we are arrogant and proud and we love ourselves too much. And when he changes our minds to where we serve somebody else, that's a miracle because left up to ourselves, bring me another lemonade. Bring me another... Whatever's going to make my life easier. He changes our minds. That's a sign and a wonder. There's also mercy that shows up in the experience of devotion. They are, they are supplying needs for one another. They're selling possessions to give that's any in need. Now, we know since they're, they're breaking bread in their homes, not everybody was selling their houses and stuff. They were probably selling off the superfluous stuff, the surplus. I don't need this. Others might need what this can provide rather than me waiting around for it. Uh, an example of that was Ananias and Sapphira. They were not, they were not condemned. They, they, Peter said, you can have kind of kept the property. It was yours to do what you wanted with, but they lied about what they gave. They acted like they were giving more than what they really gave, and that was pride that God came against, not the act of, of selling a piece of property or not but they were ministering to one another. They were serving those in need. So mercy shows up through the experience of our devotion, but gladness also shows up. And church, I, I, I am glad to be a part of your lives and this church. And it's my prayer that we will grow. And I see that gladness. One of my joys is after our Sunday morning gathering, just seeing everybody interact. Uh, I feel just like a I had, this happened last Saturday night uh, at the reception across the street for Lane and Christian I was just sitting around watching my kids have a great time it was just, it was, that was the joy in my heart so, but I, I experienced that on Sundays when I watch you just interacting and, and loving on one another and laughing together I, I feel that fatherly affection of my kids enjoying one another I love that I love it that's gladness Now, in verse 47, we have the effects of devotion. This is what should be happening. The first thing is praise. Praising God. Worship is the result. It just doesn't happen before the preaching. It happens continuously. I have to reference Mark's uh, very effective sermon last week, and you'll listen to that for understanding on it. Now, we also have the effect of favor. What type of favor is this? Now, the context is that favor with all the people Well, there's favor that's experienced among the church as they're serving and loving one another, but there's also favor that's experienced from those outside of the fellowship, unbelievers. Now, what about Jesus saying, you're always going to have, blessed are those who uh, are persecuted. And uh, Paul says that with many persecutions, we're going to enter eternity. So what does this mean? Are we supposed to like, Make sure that people like us or make sure that people hate us. Which one is it? I think what this is referring to is when the, church, when the world looks onto the church and they see a different type of love, they're just confused. And they're confounded. And it actually brings a judgment upon their own souls because they recognize they don't have it and that's when they attack. So it's all kind of together. It's all mixed in. But what we're to do is there, there should be an effect that the, the culture, the community around us, they see us doing something, and they're thankful for it. Remember what Jesus said in John 13. The world will know you're my disciples by what? The love you have for one another, because it's just a weird type of love to them. Why do you love these people so much? probably hear that from family members. No, I'm going to church again. Why are you loving those people so much? They're not even your family. No, we know. No, they are my family. They're my true spiritual family. I know that. And I feel that. But there's also addition that happens, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The Lord adds to his church. And we want we want to be open for that. I, I truly believe the Lord has thought about it. I had this sense earlier this year before chaos ensued with life, but it's still lingering in there. God has many more to gather to us. Lost sheep and wandering sheep. He has more to gather to us. And my prayer for us is that we mature into, into a, a maturity that, that provides a structure for when God brings that increase. There's love and care that's met at every turn. That's happened in spurts. It really has, and there's fruit of that with people that have joined our church. But we we have more. So unless Jesus shows up today, we are more that He wants to bring into the fold, and we want to be ready for that. And everybody bears a responsibility in that structure to love people, to love one another. So look, here, here's where this message ends up. Be devoted. To the church be devoted in ways that show up in attendance in love in teaching and loving teaching and encouraging one another but but can i ask us to do that as family one of my visions for us as a church that god church has always been my family and when i was a boy eight years old showing up into a church that preached the gospel for the first time i just loved being at church but that church became family that church became not just my mom bringing me to church, but then all of a sudden people that I still have with us in church, my non-papa, that's my other parents. Because at nine years old is when I met them. I'm 44. What a testimony. What a testimony of God's faithfulness. But church for me has always been family. These are the people I want to be around all the time. It's still that way. And I would ask for us to have, you know, we, we are a very welcoming, and we greet, and everybody says that. When they came, it's so warm, that, that they just felt so welcomed. Let's keep on doing that. Let's go to the next step and say, oh, you're part of our family? We're going to love you. We have loved people into the church, and I love it. People that were like, oh, I'm not so sure of the size, I don't know, I'm looking for something else. We just love them, and they go, yeah, that's where I'm going to be. We need going to keep doing that doing that. So this is a reminder when there's a, ch- when there's a challenge that needs to be challenged. I'm looking at you through the screen. If you need to be challenged I need to be devoted to this. It, it, it needs to look like something better than what's, what I'm experiencing right now. We don't want to isolate. We want to be with one another. But listen, as God puts people on your heart that you haven't seen please contact them. Please contact them. I'm thinking about you. How can I pray for you? Please. That's one of the beautiful ways that we can still be connected with one another. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed that you would even save us and bring us together as your people. It's just marvelous in our eyes. It's marvelous in our experience. Lord, we ask that you would please uh, faith us for more. Faith us to to be the church that we would have the fire in us for your desire. Not our desire of, of what we want church to be like for us or where it fits in, it may fit in. Lord, we were asking God that we would have such a fire about our devotion that everything else falls into place after our commitment is shown and evidenced to your people, to this church. I thank you for building us the way you have. We ask that you would continue to build this church, continue to add to our numbers. Lord, we pray for a supernatural connection when we can't see each other regularly. Give us a supernatural connection.